0: Hello, and welcome to episode 76 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Saturday, October 16th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney?
1: Good. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, and happy anniversary. Oh, my gosh. Hot anniversary, I guess. I know. I feel like I should hand you a box of chocolates or something. Oh, that would be so nice. But yeah, and I should give you roses and
0: and we've done we've done nothing.
1: We, but well, we're together. We're together and we're going to tag on a segment at the end with our favorites, right?
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. So we will have on reflection at the end. And before that, we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. So on the needles. <sighs> Lots of random knitting. I mean, I guess not totally random. It feels random. My whole world feels random. I went back east for a few days for all good things. It, it's messed with time even more than, than time has normally been messed with. So travel does that. It does. It's
1: totally normal. Yep.
0: So let's start with the finished objects. I finished my gnome. I'll work gnome play by Sarah Shera. This was her seventh mystery gnome along. Of course, it turned out totally adorable, even though I was complaining about it last time. And I think it was just because of the, the setup. If it had came out as a one pattern, I would be totally fine with it. So the hat for the gnome, super adorable, regular hat, but then 22 inches of I-cord, which you then wrap around the hat. You do like a loop at the top and then wrap it around. So it's so cute. But <laughs> the instructions were, so one day you knit the hat, then one day you just knit I-cord. And the next day is just sewing the I-cord down. Which, when you want to be knitting, is not terribly exciting. But if you could just do it in one one bang, it would be fine. But it's super cute. Totally want to make a Christmas tree hat gnome now. Some people did that, and they put little beads in it, and so adorable. Sweet. Yeah. So um, And then it's a girl gnome, says she had cabled braids instead of a beard. Aww. She had mittens. So much fun. So turned out totally adorable. And that was in my leftover farmer's daughter mayhem. And I ended up using all four colors. Cause I made her hair, her braids in the red, which I wasn't planning to do, but her nose was the gray and her hat was the pink and the gloves were in the pink and the body was in the yellow. So it turned out really cute that she's did some welting on the hat and oh, so many little details, a little flower detail on the hat. It's very cute. And a, a girl gnome is rare, huh? In the gnome yes. population, well, I think she's. I think in her gnome population, she has done some before, but this is the first one that I have done. So that was all work gnome play by Sarah Shira, and it should all be out now. The mystery knit along is over. We have to post completed photos for wonderful prizes. So if you want to check out the gnome, you can see the whole thing now. And then I did uh, the October challenge for the Downseller Studio Pigskin Party, which was, um, it's a washcloth that uh, one of the sponsors had designed, and it does four or five different increases. So you start with just a few stitches in the middle, and then you increase out. And usually the pattern will just have one increase. But This was sort of a learning thing. Oh, fun. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to see how they all, you know, they're all increasing, but they look differently. They use the yarn differently. And I had had some... Cotton yarn sitting in my stash for I don't even know how long it was like in the dollar bin at Michael's or something. And so I picked it up, I was like, Oh, of course, I'm gonna make washcloths, and then I haven't. So this was perfect, perfect chance to use that. And it was the Lily Sugar and Cream in Psychedelic. So it's basically a rainbow, but very bright rainbow. And that pattern is called Increase Your Score by Knitters Brewing Company. And I'm not sure, it might be on their website. I think it's a free pattern. And then I'm still working on my two sweaters. The first is Hide and Peak by Maxim Sear. Yes, I have already made one of those. That one was for me. This is the one for my husband.
1: Hide and Peak is the rick-rack sweater. It is the rick-rack they sweater. They just need to rename it the rick-rack I sweater. I will let him know.
0: <laughs> Maxim, dude, come on. What are you thinking? Much better name. And this is in the Sugar Plum Circus Merino Sport in charcoal. Elfaba, Starling, and Merlin's beard, which is a dark green, a bright green, and a light gray. And charcoal, which is charcoal colored. One of my favorite colors. I love charcoal. And it's a really good charcoal too. Her colors are great. My hope was to get the yoke all finished and to divide for the sleeves for that one before I left on my trip. And it did not quite happen. I got stuck in short rows, which is fine. So I'm really close because I, I wanted to get it just to where it's just knitting, knitting, knitting. And I did not quite do that, but that's okay. The color work is all done. And I'm pretty happy with it. It was, you know, because the other one I had a kit for mine, I had a kit. This I was, you know, I talked with, um, Jensen the Dyer, and so we talked about the colors and what would work, and she gave me some ideas about which order to put them in, and then I kind of just started knitting and was like, oh, this will work. So it was a little bit, little bit interesting, but I think when it all came together, it looks really good, so. We will see. I'm still. We'll see, we'll see what the husband thinks of the bright green. He is, I want to see it. Oh, yeah, to show it to um, you. I'll go peek that, at it. Yes. At the rickrack sweater? At the rickrack sweater. Yeah. So that is coming along nicely. And then mostly I have been working on the newspaper pullover by Hojilocatelli in the Biche et Bouche Le Petit Lambswool in light gray and Issegur Spinny in charcoal also. <laughs> so sensing a theme here in my colors. That is the brioche sweater that I'm doing for her fall knit along. My hope is to have it finished by Halloween. We shall see. It's going pretty well. I've divided for the sleeves, so I'm on the body now and I have switched my colors around. You switch around which color is the main color so it makes the popping color different. Every once in a while you do that every 24 rows or so. So I've switched it once and I have to get through that section and then switch it again, do another section, and I think that's the length of the body. So it's coming along slowly, I did get some of the knitting done on the trip, not as much as I had hoped, and I did end up switching. The pattern calls for knitting it one pass brioche, the brioche, there's yarn overs and loops and slipping and all sorts of stuff, and mostly it is written for you knit with one color and then you knit with the other color around. Um, when I was doing one of the pairs of socks this spring in Sock Madness, she had a way for doing it with two pass, two pass, uh, sorry, one pass. No, oh my gosh, that was all totally wrong. Most brioche, brioche is two pass. So you knit with one color, then you knit the same round again with the other color. So there is a way to do it in one pass where you're knitting with both colors at once. So I managed to figure out how to switch it, which was basically just <laughs> ignoring the fact that I hadn't knit with one color. For a while, um, but it was really interesting because you can totally tell that my purl stitches are different when I'm doing it with my left hand versus my right hand, because they're much longer. How funny! So I was like, I was trying to figure out, am I doing the stitch wrong? And I kept, you know, watching myself, and I'd do it with my right hand, and then I'd do it again with my left. Like, no, I'm wrapping the yarn the right way. It's all the same. It's just the angle that the yarn is coming in at. So. I don't so think anybody'll notice.
1: Yeah. And it will probably wriggle out in the yeah. blocking, right? Yes.
0: Yeah, I think it's I'm not concerned enough to go back to doing it two pass. This does feel I don't know if it feels much faster, but it mentally is it's like forensic mental.
1: knitting. Like, yeah. what am I doing here? What's
0: happening? Let's, so let's analyze this. So we shall see, but I I'd still super comfy and I'm very excited. To eventually have it to wear, even if it is not by Halloween. And then I cast on a pair of socks because I wanted something else for my trip when it was hanging out, watching the regatta. I was okay with taking the sweater like on the airplane for airplane knitting or at the house, but carting it around outside at the <laughs> at the harbour was not really gonna work. So Did you have nice weather for this at least? Not at all. Oh. It was raining and hot. What? It was threatening to rain. And very hot. So it's the Swing Left Socks by Megan Williams. And I got these as part of a kit a couple years ago. And I dug some yarn out of Deep Stash. I looked it up. It's from 2010. Yeehaw. So that's some old yarn. Three Irish Girls Adorned Sock in the Colorway Bridget, which is all blues and greens. And what I was looking for in a pattern was something interesting, but that I could do without looking at the pattern. You know, because I'd be walking around or sitting and, you know, watching boats and whatnot. I looked at the pattern and kind of was skimming it. And there was a part where it had row one or round one and round two. And then it said, like, repeat these until the sock is six inches long. And I was like, oh, perfect. It's a two row repeat. I can totally do that. I can't imagine, like, looking at the picture, I couldn't quite imagine how just two row rounds was going to get me this design. But I figured I'll go with it. And what I realized was that was the instructions for if you're doing it with two colors. There's a one color version and a two color version. And there is a 32 round row chart (laughs) that you have to follow and you switch off the colors. I was like, oh, okay, not quite as simple. But overall, it was still really easy. The chart is pretty intuitive. Once you get going with it, you don't really need to look at it or you just kind of look at it once and you're good to go. You. Okay, me. (laughs) So that was good. So I'm pleased with how those are turning out. I don't know when I'll get back to them now that I'm here and working on my sweater, but they will get finished at some point, and and I think they will will be good. It's not like there's a sock shortage around here. No, this is true. So it'll all be okay. It will. It will. Like so many things. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that is all my knitting. What is on the easel?
1: Well, oh dear. Let's see. I was trying to get back into a better daily painting habit, and so I don't know if if I... I don't think I told you how. I was abandoned for football games a couple weekends, and so while my husband was attending the games, I took myself to the library and, like, sat there and drew all morning... And I think what was good about that was that I just went with a couple pencils and no agenda. And that was really fun. Yeah. And then the other thing I've been doing, I have this great slim volume, and I didn't make note of the title of it, but it's basically art assignments from MFA programs. Oh. It's artists talking about either assignments, really memorable assignments that they received during art school or... Art professors, studio professors, telling about their favorite assignments to students. Hmm. And one assignment that I really loved, and it's been in my head for a while, is a professor who gave out a ream of paper, like copy paper, 500 sheets and five Sharpies, and gave them a month to go through the ream of paper and the five Sharpies. Wow. And you couldn't throw anything away and you could be garbage and it could be great but what is really it's simple it's really high contrast and it just it makes you constantly look around and think oh i should take a picture of this for later or to just grab whatever it is you're eating and draw it on the quick
0: and it's not fancy paper so you're not it's feeling like it has to be an amazing right
1: very pedestrian materials you can get them anywhere I actually got a ream of paper from Scrap, which is our, like, creative reuse place here. So it was basically paper that was going to be recycled anyway, and it had slots all the way Mm -hmm. down one margin for, like, a GBC binding, those plastic coil bindings that Mm -hmm. nobody likes. And so I've just been using this gigantic ream of paper. It is terrible quality paper. I mean, even my hand resting on it, (laughs) it kind of, like, buckles a little bit. But it does beautifully with the Sharpie, and I keep a sheet of acetate underneath Mm -hmm. because the Sharpie often will bleed through a little bit. And so I'm just churning through. I'm about 100 pages into the ream. Wow. And I'm just, I'm averaging about, I don't know, six or eight pages a day. So some days I only get two or three. Some days I do 12 I caught myself last night, like, oh, I didn't do my Sharpie sketches. So I quick went in and did three or four, either from a couple pages from a magazine or mm-hmm. whatever was right in front of me. And, and it's going um, pretty well. And it's, I would have to say, there's probably 10 that I really like right now and 90 that I don't care about. But it's sort of worth it to just work on, yeah. and work on the line work. Then the other thing that I'm really pushing myself to work through is the next year's calendar. People who have been listening for a while know that I like to do an over-the-top holiday card. So this calendar is a stand-in for a holiday card, so it goes to my friends and family. And last year, I ordered 50 extra and sold them, and they sold out, and it was an amazing feeling. Very, it made me feel really accomplished. This year, it kind of feels like a sophomore, a <laughs> sophomore effort because I just wasn't sure what to do, and it's pretty hard to like. It just turned out so great last year; it, it was did. so fun. And this year, I was struggling with it a little bit, and so. I was talking to Daria, who is my accountability partner, and she was she gave me some good advice and said, just paint what you really love. Well, I really love birds and animals and nature, and I really love fiddly pottery and teacups and typewriters and things like that. So I am painting animals and things. I'm showing Monica... Little snippets. I basically have five sketches right now. That's amazing. And I need. Mean I mean, love- I need thirteen, like a cover and oh, twelve yeah. months. And so I have a penguin in a ginger jar. Not a penguin in a ginger jar. A penguin and a ginger jar. And f- for me, I like this because the ovoid shape yep. of the ginger jar makes me think of how a penguin cuddles its egg, and then the orange.
0: Yep. and the whole thing is a circle there. Yeah, there, it just
1: feels yep. really unified and I love the bluish shadow because what I'm trying to do is keep the palette sort of cohesive. So this mm. blue is a similar blue. I'm using the 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 whole bind palettes that I was talking about oh, last nice. time. So then I have Um, A typewriter with... This is a California sister, butterfly. And that's meaningful to me because in my family, I'm the California sister. So this has a sheet of paper tucked into the typewriter. And it's notebook paper, which is something that I like to do because otherwise it's just a white sheet of paper. And I might put a quote on there. I haven't decided yet. And this is halfway finished. It's not even... Then my other idea a koala is a, a little koala tucked into a a trophy cup yeah. and that might be kind of tricky because the trophy and the koala are both grays but i'm thinking that if i do little reflections of this eucalyptus that it might work could you do the trophy in gold i could do the trophy in gold like a bronze yeah that'd be fun to try then i have a deer in a soup tureen <laughs> Which just I don't know. These are angry. all just charming. Then I have oh my gosh a gecko, um, a chameleon, and a gravy boat. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Why not? These... Well, because you've got the curls and the maybe maybe that's and his expression is just like so good. Yeah. And then I have this is going to be redone, but this was actually my first sketch. Is a, a giraffe drinking out of a teacup. And I think where I was going with this was it would be fun to play with scale and like not to scale at all. Mm-hmm. And a teacup would not even fit into mm-hmm. a giraffe's snout. The teacup needs to be blue now that I've mm-hmm. like worked out some of the other colors.. Yeah.
0: Oh yes, yeah, so you could do the trophy in the, like this color. Yeah, yeah, One of exactly.
1: Those. The 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 giraffe color. The warm bronze color. I have all these lists of I definitely need to do an owl and I need to do a fox, but I'm not sure what to pair them with yet. So I'm still working on where this is going, but it feels so good to have a plan and to just be working through the plan. Cool. And they're awesome. Thank you. So then the other thing that I have to decide is if... I'm going to do what I would call like a spot illustration uh, yeah. in the calendar block voids. So at the beginning and the end of a calendar when there's no dates, there's there's this opportunity to put little spot illustrations. And last year, I really loved – I used the spot illustrations throughout and usually twice a month unless there was no room for it. And so I was thinking – for the penguin in the ginger jar, I could do, like, a little tin of sardines, like, mm, down at the bottom. Yeah. Something that relates to the image, but I'm maybe I've already painted it, or it can just be, like, a quick, funny little... Yeah. I don't know. So, I also have a tin of tea from Australia that could go with the koala and the trophy mm-hmm. one. So, I'm kind of playing with it, and it's really fun, and maybe nobody... I don't know. It's Why okay. Why would you say? Well, because I just <laughs> you know that I not have it. these expectations for it and it's uh, really hard for me to. So then the other thing, oops, the other thing that I did last year was on the envelope I painted, oh right, a red pencil because it referred to you're getting a calendar, which is different than what I had done in years past. So I'm still not sure at all what that image would be on the envelope. Because I, you know, I love, it sounds crazy, but I love to paint, hand paint, 150 envelopes right before Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? So that's what's been on the easel. Wow. So fun. Thank you. Nice.
0: All right. On the table. So, yeah. So traveling kind of cut down on my my cooking, which is fine. But I've been making soup. I was looking... Back, it's a good thing I write things down because I would never have remembered. Because I talked about it last time or the time before, talked about soup, making, making soup. Mm-hmm. Well, I had that random soup of all the things. Oh yes, um, yeah. So this one, I went. I had actual kind of recipes, but soup twice in two weeks seems like a theme. So it is. It is that time of year, soup season. Yep. So the first one was a butternut squash soup with apple chutney. More or less from the wimpy vegetarian, except that I didn't read the recipe through before I started to make it. So I had to make some last minute adjustments because she has, well, so instead of like cooking the butternut, just roasting it regularly or cooking it in the soup, she has you cook it in an air fryer, which I don't have. (laughs) So that wasn't going to happen. So I ended up just roasting it.
1: I wonder what the air fryer would impart, that roasting wouldn't, because... I think it was faster. Oh, okay. Was the the plan there. And then you add some
0: coconut milk in at the end after you've blended it. And the one that she did that had like cinnamon and I think some cumin and, you know, lots of nice warm spices. Um, But then the apple chutney was really good, which I also... (laughs) Didn't really read and didn't realize that it was supposed to cook for an hour. Dinner was a little bit late that night, but the (laughs) apple chutney was really good. I also didn't have orange juice. I don't know what I did. Like, I do remember looking... I usually at least look at the ingredients. I don't generally look at how what I'm doing with them, but I I usually have the ingredients. So that was interesting. But it worked out fine just using water instead of orange juice. And you cook it all down and you put golden raisins in and, and then you add it to the soup. And it's just such a nice it like works with it but it's also a nice contrast and then apple chutney we had a bunch left over so i put it in my oatmeal the next morning and that was delicious yum so those were both from the wimpy vegetarian i would check those out and then last night i went with uh, a miso soup and i threw a bunch of other stuff in there so i had some napa cabbage i had mushrooms that were also from my produce box i got some rice noodles to throw in there And some silken tofu. So it was definitely more hearty than miso soup normally is. But I was okay with that. It was still fairly light tasting items. And it was really good. I don't know that I've made miso soup before. So that was Mm. kind of exciting. And definitely will be on the list for repeats, I think.
1: Your mention of rice paper, or you said rice noodles. Rice noodles. Reminds me, I saw a thing for rice paper bacon. You know, you can get those wonton wrappers that are made out of rice paper for, like, making... Spring rolls. Exactly. Yeah. You mix up this glaze, like maple, all the vegan umami, (laughs) you know, mushroom powder. There might be a soy sauce in there. I'm going to have to find the reference for this. And then you paint it on strips of the... Rice paper mm. and roast it for like 10 fifteen minutes in the oven and it makes crispy baconish strips interesting and I actually thought that was kind of cool yeah and I'm the omnivore house if people will recall so yeah but
0: sometimes I mean like bacon is such a
1: it is overpowering yeah
0: sometimes I mean it's delicious it I is hundred percent hundred percent eat it but if you could have something with a similar flavor
1: uh-huh But there are so many recipes that call for bacon that... Yeah. that would be a fun experiment. I would try that. Yeah. Um, Anything else from your table? No. Everything else has been weekday vegetarian cooking, so you will hear about that next time. I'm still working my my way through that. It's a little harder at my house. Yep. Okay, so on our table, it was our anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. So I did not cook very much either, and I'm also working through weekday vegetarian. But for the non, well, I guess you could put this on fries too. I meant to talk about this a couple or one session ago. This fry or burger sauce that we made, that I found. It's basically, I think, Thousand Island dressing, Mm -hmm. which I hated growing up. I had a grandfather who loved it. And the orange, the orange just, I thought it was weird. Anyway, I found this dipping sauce for fries, that I wanted to try with the turkey burgers from Tuesday Nights, oh, yeah. the Christopher Kimball. I was kind of tired of the tzatziki sauce, mm-hmm. and I found this dipping sauce, which is not for the mayo adverse. There's some mayo in it. There's ketchup in it. Worcestershire. And the secret ingredient is pickle brine. And yeah. man, is it. Good. It is so good. We have been putting it on everything, including our anniversary lobster.
0: (laughs) Wow.
1: Okay. Anniversary lobster. My mom happens to be in Maine these days. She shipped us four pound and a quarter lobsters. Wow. Like straight from Maine. They arrived at my house very angry. They do. And I apologized to them profusely, took some pictures because I feel like I'm going to want to paint one of these guys and then prepared to harden my heart to do the, you know, the whole thing. Yep. There's only two of us who eat lobster at my house. So we,
0: you know, say, didn't we talk about this? Like you didn't have lobsters last
1: time. I know. And so I was a little nervous because the last time that we got lobster out here It wasn't as great like I only eat lobster when I'm in Connecticut you know and they came out of the ocean that morning roughly so I was a little nervous about this whole surprise and but they were really flavorful Good. and if you know I have to get through the hard part of cooking them it is always traumatic for me it's just it's probably worse for them it is much worse for them thanks Monica (laughs) Good gosh, I I once dropped a lobster or was pulling a lobster out of a pot and got a very bad burn on my eye. Mm. So I'm all I also have yeah. some like lobster trauma. So cook the lobsters. We did, you know, we had our like anniversary. It was actually the night after our anniversary because on our anniversary we had poke bowls. Nice. And so we had the dipping sauce the leftover dipping sauce with the lobster. And it was pretty great. Better than melted butter. And I know that you're going to flinch at that, but I don't know. Yeah. Very tasty lobsters. And that Excellent. I feel like I should stop talking about it. Cause some people really don't like that topic, but the rest of the cooking this week has been like staple cooking to get through yep. the, the, you know, the kids who are super hungry when they come in from practice I did a batch of the breakfast burritos the other night. I have been doing them the night before and just putting them in the fridge and skipping the freezing part. And I'm still cooking off the tater tots so that they're crispy. I don't know why. I don't know why I have to do that step. It feels right.
0: (laughs) Oh, I mean, if you're okay doing it, then And I did
1: add salsa to the burrito, and that helped kick... kick up some flavor so and I've been working through weekday vegetarians and in my effort to get through weekday vegetarians I did for the San Francisco people who are listening I found the bean lottery down on in Noe Valley at Church Street produce they have tons of Rancho Gordos um, on the shelf like a huge amount a huge variety they even had some red popping corn and I, know. I, know. I like popping corn so I got a bag of that and it pops it's a tinier kernel than a traditional yellow and it pops and it's bright white it's interesting it looks different and it looks like it might be burnt but that's the red kernel doing its thing cool I'll have to so, go check those out
0: yeah I am getting low on beans I just haven't sat down to
1: to reorder but
0: I will all right, on the nightstand. All right, so I have another nonfiction book, which is... I know, who, who is this person? My um, goodness. Women and Other Monsters, Building a New Mythology by Jess Zimmerman. So I heard her on a podcast talking about her book, and so I decided I wanted to read it. And it ended up being part academic study and part memoir. Uh, and I was sort of less into the memoir part of it. Mm-hmm. But... It was really interesting. So she takes monsters from classical mythology, so the sirens and Medusa, and looks at what they say about society and how it views women. And because most of the monsters are women, and why is this? And so she looks at it and what it's saying and how it applies to us now, and you know, things that she's gone through in her own life. So Medusa. I think, was about beauty. And then there was one about marriage and one about, you know, being bossy kind of thing and, and how all these mm. um, reflect on how society views women. So it was really interesting, you know, looking at these myths and and how they, they work in our current world. So I really liked that. Yeah, it was really good. It wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, but really interesting as well. So next was Exit Strategy by Martha Wells,
1: which was
0: uh, book four in the Murderbot series.
1: The murder you bot laugh every ma- time. I know. I know. It's. it's you a- can edit it out. No, it, it, it makes <laughs> it me is- laugh. Murderbot is just... I know.
0: But it's, it's such a nice Murderbot. It's having feelings. Okay. Even though it hates feelings. Well, it makes me chuckle. It's growing as a Murderbot. It has to rescue one of its humans, and it's just, again, delightful and adventurous and short. So I'm currently reading the fifth one, and I think then I get to the sixth one, which I which I believe is actual novel length. And I have passed my husband in this series, so that's kind of
1: exciting as well. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, not competitive at all, people. Not at all.
0: Well, he recommended this series, and now I have passed him, so that feels, you know, very exciting. Then I read Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Moreno-Garcia.
1: Oh, the, yeah. Yep,
0: of uh, Mexican Gothic. So this one is not Gothic. It is noir. It's still Mexico City in the 70s. Maite is about 30. She works as a secretary. She reads romance, graphic novels a lot, and is not super happy with her life. Her neighbor, Leonora, asks her to watch her cat while she goes away for the weekend, but then she never comes back. And Maite gets involved with trying to find her. There is a lot of unrest, student protests, and the government is hiring kind of mafia figures to deal with the students. And one of them is also looking for Leonora, and their paths kind of cross. It was really good. I think I even liked it better than Mexican Gothic. Yeah. The it felt a little more realistic. <laughs> it didn't have the the crazy mushroom house.
1: So I loved the crazy mushroom house. It w- it was a great crazy yeah. mushroom house, but this but one was, was a little a more stretch.
0: Yeah. And it did not end as I expected it to, so that was that was kind of exciting as well. But yeah, it was really good. Definitely, you know, good sense of the times when it was happening and her life and and what was going on. So um so I liked I liked that one and and I think she has I'm pretty sure she has other books like in a back catalog. Mexican, oh, Yeah, Yeah, I don't think Mexican Gothic was her first. So I need to go back and check those out because this was this was a good follow up for sure. And then Incense and Sensibility by Sonali Dave Which is book three in this series, romance novels, that are all sort of retellings of Jane Austen books. And this one, as you might guess, is based on Sense and Sensibility. Yash Raj is running for governor of California when there is an assassination attempt. And he is fine, but his bodyguard is in a coma. He obviously has a lot of trauma from this and can't get back on stage, which since the election is approaching, is a problem. So his family recommends that he go consult with a family friend who will keep the whole thing quiet because they you know, don't want to get out, that the possible governor is having panic attacks. And she is a yoga instructor, among other things, but has helped family the family out before with using mindfulness and all those good things to control your emotions. What they don't know is that the two of them had... One of those nights where you just stay up talking and you feel a connection, like 10 years ago, and then Yush did not come back for a second date. And there are reasons. Okay. Um, but so they haven't talked since then. It's... And she knows who he is, obviously. Yes. Okay. Uh, so she's she's pretty mad at him <laughs> still, <laughs> but she's going to be professional. Um, you know, things go on from there. There's all of the, the things you would expect from, from Sense and Sensibility-based book. And... Sonali is a really good writer, and uh, her her characters are really good. And she always has kind of side plots going on that are interesting. These sound fun. They are fun to me. And to me. The second one involved cooking, so there a cooking show. So there was a lot of good food in there as well. These are these are really good ones that I enjoy, and they take place in the Bay Area, so fun. Always always fond of that. Then the Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, which is a retelling of The Great Gatsby. Oh, fun. But with magic and a queer heroine. So... Even better. Bonus. I really liked it. The magic was almost... It was very sort of magical realism, and it mm-hmm. wasn't like, ooh, look, we're doing magic. It was just kind of a part of their world, and so it didn't... It almost didn't change things that much. So the narrator, she was born in Vietnam, and then adopted by a missionary who came back to Louisville. So she grew up alongside Daisy. And then um, now they're up in New York. And so she's hanging out with her. So she's the one narrating it. And she is observing Nick and you know, all the things going on. So it's there's some other stuff happening that you don't get in the original book. But then they'll, they'll come back to what is going on um, in that story. Uh, so there's a lot of other other things going on, you get more of Daisy's backstory. It was really it was really fun. It was really good. It was still kind of a dark book. But, but you know, you also get all the glamour of the 1920s and, and that. So if you're into that, that's pretty good. And, yeah, I really like this one as well. It was another good book week. And then my most favorite, I finally read Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. So good. I love this one so much. Because you had read it and mm-hmm. I've, some other people have read it. And I think the summary I've heard, or what has made it into my head, is a woman goes to Greenland to observe the migration, the last migration of the Arctic turds, because it is happening a little bit in the future, so all the animals are dying out. And there's so much more going on than that. I mean, that is kind of... That is the
1: arc of the narrative.
0: Yes, but there's so much other stuff going on. that It took me by surprise at first, but then I, I just loved the whole thing so much. Her, The rest of... the Woman's story is going on, and then the actual tracking of the migration is amazing. And mm-hmm.
1: wow, what a book! So I have her um, latest one on my oh, nightstand. Fun. I haven't read it yet, but it's coming. Cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. So those are my books. It was a really good two weeks.
1: Excellent. I have I have six books. Oh my goodness! One is I could talk for an hour about it. I won't because. But you could. But I could. Be okay. warned people, be warned. My first book to tell you about is a newer release called The Missing Treasures of Amy Ashton by Eleanor Gray. And this is this reminded me of and I don't like it when people say, "Oh, it's if you liked XYZ, you'll mm-hmm. love ABC." I feel like the the sensibility of it is similar to the Eleanor Oliphant is Completely mm-hmm. Fine or the the other one that I like, A Man Called Ova, mm-hmm. where you're, you've are you got kind of a troubled character and you're rooting for them regardless, and they come out of their disgruntlement in a satisfying way. So it follows that vein. Amy Ashton has had some trauma nine or ten years prior to the present day, and she has become something of a hoarder, mm. and it's weird to hear the origin story of her collections and how she there, it's kind of a mystery built into this interesting story of a, of a young woman and why she has a house full of junk. And the backstory mystery has a surprising and satisfying ending and her neighbors come into it. It's kind of a lighter book, but it was It was really, it was captivating. So I liked that. Then I read one that I was seeing it a lot on Instagram on people's book stacks called the astonishing life of August March by Aaron Jackson. This is about a young boy who is born in a theater in like before world war two, his mother His biological mother is a starlet, and she had concealed her pregnancy Mm. and then abandons the baby in the theater. And one of the seamstresses, or laundress, I guess, in the theater finds the baby and takes care of him, but doesn't take him home. She just, like, leaves him there at night, and it's so weird. Anyway, suspend your disbelief and go with us here. He grows up in a theater and finds cubby spots and watches all the plays, all the Shakespeare, sees great actors, makes these great connections. And a lot of people think the theater is haunted because there's this little boy's, you know, like glimpses of him running around. He leaves the theater a couple of times and is totally overwhelmed with New York City. And then During the war effort, it was taken over and became a GI hangout. And that was part of his education. Like all, he never went to school. It's the theater was his education. And then he's turned out onto the streets of New York and has to fend for himself as a young teen. And it's just this crazy life of this boy. Again, like really well-written, totally captivating story. Um, and I I really don't want to give, I don't know that there's a ton to give away, but I think that his journey is really the, the fulfilling part. Then I don't know what you would consider this. It's not a graphic novel. It's not, it's more the published journal sketchbook of my Myra Kalman, who is a a really well-known illustrator. And so she has done several books. And this is the first one that I opened up and read cover to cover. It's like 2007, I guess, called The Principles of Uncertainty. And it's an illustrated journal from a year in her life. And she talks about her Russian heritage. And she goes into history, like historical tangents. And then she talks about her walks through Central Park and has some pictures with writing and then there are paintings of the cakes that she ate with a friend and it it was just very inspiring to me as an as a artist. And so I think people should find her work if you don't know of it. Then I read for Book Group of Women in Salt by Gabriella Garcia. Oh, and this good. I read that one. You, you read this yeah. one? Okay, so Monica's already done this one. I don't remember you talking about it. Is it a while ago? Uh-huh. Probably a few months. Okay. So this takes place in two different timelines, present day and then like 19th century Cuba and how it's woven together because Cuban ancestor is the present day's uh, history, Mm -hmm. right? I think what stuck with me was the, the story of addiction and deportation and like what it means to be American when you're in America when you're an immigrant in America, and then you go someplace else and They think oh you're an American and it is not you don't belong in either place Maybe right and exploring that I think it was really hard to read about the domestic violence that was happening in Cuba and Mexico and there's there's a lot going on in this book with these different narratives that are sort of woven together and then the, the one thing that I felt strongly was that I was being kept at a distance because it, it, in how the story was told, mm. we weren't really allowed to. I mean, we heard how she felt when one of the narrators was in Cuba and her cousin was had this sense of what it, what it should be like to have an American cousin there. And how her displacement felt. But I also just felt like we were at a remove. And I'm not sure that I can put my finger on why. But it was a strong feeling that I had. And that doesn't detract from my... I really enjoyed this book. And I think it's relevant and important. And I'm interested to hear what the rest of book group thought of it. Mm-hmm. Then I read The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave... This is um like a psychological mystery, maybe more mystery than psychological. This is a story of Hannah who's like 39 and she's a wood turner, which means she builds furniture. And she has just married, she's still a newlywed with Owen. They dated for like 9 months and then they've been married for a year when the book opens. He has a 16-year-old daughter from a previous marriage and he, and he is widowed. And so, and his work is with this tech company and from the outset he goes missing. And he, then these mysterious notes arrive and a bag full of cash and they need to figure out uh, Hannah and Bailey who don't have the best relationship because she's a new stepmother to a 16-year-old who is really tight with her father and drama there. This book is meant, so this is a Reese Witherspoon book club book. It's like optioned out for a mini series. It's got all of the Hollywood traction, which would make you think that, well, this happens to me every time. I didn't like the Daisy Jones and the six. So maybe I'm not the audience for these books. (laughs) I didn't buy it. I feel like this so this guy has a whole separate secret life that unfolds throughout the book Mm. and she is supposed to just turn herself inside out for the daughter who can't stand her she married this guy he and he thinks that she's trustworthy to take care of his daughter forever and he disappears and she's left without him with this responsibility and not that you wouldn't take on it. That's, that's the part I don't, I can get behind. Of course she would care for the daughter. It's that if he's going to trust her the rest of their lives together, you know, why wouldn't he trust her in that 19 months or however long in their relationship to say, okay, so I have this secret life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I don't buy it. And there wouldn't be a book. Then there wouldn't be a book and I don't know. I have okay. a, <laughs> clearly have a different threshold for communication <laughs> than <laughs> these people. So yeah. it was it wasn't <clears throat> very satisfying in that respect. And the ending is like a real whopper, which afterward, when I read some interviews, she is totally gonna do a sequel. I don't like yeah. being I don't like being strung along like that as a reader, and so I'm probably not the right audience. That's fair. So, however, I am the audience for 19th century literature because I fell into the Middlemarch ocean.
0: Oh, interesting. And
1: revisited Middlemarch.
0: I have never read it.
1: In, oh my gosh, this is what I could talk about for hours and hours and hours and hours. Here's the thing. I read Mill on the Floss in college. And I think I was supposed to read Middlemarch in college because I had to read a lot of stuff like that. I think I sped read Middlemarch in college. It's a big book. And got the gist of it. I absolutely remembered the plot thoroughfare for sure. It's not that hard. But it didn't move me as a college student, as a 19, 20-year-old. So it was something that I had... Been wanting to revisit. I found... I had done some research about the best audio version of Middlemarch. And I thought, oh. it's such a long book. Maybe what I can do is listen to it while I'm painting. I needed something really substantial for all of this painting that all I'm right. doing. And then I could read it at night. So I found the best narrator, Juliet Stevenson. She is... Extraordinary because she does all the voices. There are a wow. ton of characters in Middlemarch. Middlemarch, written by Georgia Eliot. Jo- I keep in my head calling her Georgia Eliot because I know she's a woman, but at the time, no one else did. George Eliot. It was written in and published in 1871 1872 But she had written the story set in eighteen twenty-nine to. 1832 because she was trying to capture she was going for historical fiction she was going for historical fiction exactly and she was trying to capture a particular political moment when they were trying to put railroads throughout britain and the the controversy around that is part of what's going on like the land reform act or something like that which to be honest was not particularly compelling to me what was compelling to me was, the, this is like, what happens after all of the Emma, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> when once all of the marriages happen, then what? Mm. This is that book. And whoa, it is so fascinating. Your main character is Dorothea, who is a very principled and idealistic upper-class woman. She's like 23, 22, when she is married to the stodgiest Mr. Kasorban. And she thinks that she's going to basically get an education from him because he's this older, 45. (laughs) Ancient. Ancient man who's writing his greatest treatise on mythologies or something like that. He's really stodgy and has a totally different view of her place in his life, and basically, he just wants her to read to him out loud all the time. It's it's super not passionate at all. (laughs) That's like the first two hundred pages, you know. (laughs) To accelerate my, I, I it's so hard to encapsulate this book. It is the story of. And I, what she thought was an I'd going to be an, a really idyllic marriage, how that doesn't pan out, how she has to make decisions about that. It's also this entire community of Middlemarch, how her sister responds to it, what it's like to be a doctor in that town, what the medicine was like in that town, how doctors made money or didn't. Just a fascinating look at what it was like to be a woman in 1830s Britain. And because it was a serialized publication, I think that's why it's lengthy. You know, it's over 750 pages. So there's a lot of, not repetition, but different storylines woven through. You get a lot of different perspectives about what's going on. It is on the whole delightful cool. um the narrator is so good with the voices and the quips and george Eliot is brilliant that she wrote that then is kind of astonishing to me she had a really clear sense of this woman's tr- struggles and triumphs and mm-hmm. and what it was like to have s- like such limited choices i mean obviously that's was her life too yep. and there there's just some brilliant shining Gems of language in this, and I loved every minute of it. And it was 34 hours long. Ooh. I ended up only reading little snippets, partly because the text was so micro in my copy of yeah. it. It was kind of hard, but I also just really enjoyed sinking back into to the voices, yeah, you know. Well. And I, the benefit of even listening for a little bit is then. When a character speaks, you can hear Julia Uh Stevenson's voice on the page. And so if you're wanting to revisit these older books, I do recommend finding a great, like, take a minute to research the best audio version and then give that narrator a chance. And it might help you get into a book that you, you know, really want to read. I wish that everyone read this book. So that we could talk about it all the time because there is mountains <laughs> to be unearthed here. And so that is just my shining gem for the week. All right,
0: cool. That has definitely been on my list for ever. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'll try the um the audio version. That's yeah. a great idea.
1: Cool. It's very worthwhile. All right, on reflection.
0: Happy anniversary. Three years. Three years. Who knew? You so did,
1: crazy. obviously. Wow. <laughs>
0: I don't know that I did. I think you did. I'll give it to you.
1: Let's share. So, it. Like okay. like proper Perfect. partners.
0: So what we usually do is look back on the past year and kind of our favorites of each others everything. Yeah, just I the that hi- right? the, the, the highlights
1: from the past year.
0: Yeah. So my knitting looking back there there are a lot of sweaters. There's a lot of sweaters. There's a lot I mean there was a lot of everything, I think. <laughs> As with many people, I was home a lot and and my my Knitting kind of kicked up into a little bit of a high gear, but I think there was a lot of really cool sweaters. I definitely feel like I am, I can say that I'm a sweater knitter now. It's, it's, uh, uh yeah, I, it's, it's hard to come like, cause I was a sock knitter for so long
1: Yeah.
0: and sweater knitting is kind of a whole other thing. <clears throat> so I feel good about that. Um, and I think probably my favorite was the one I made for my sister just because, you know, it's harder to do a sweater for somebody else. So it was, I was glad to, to have that done and, and get it made, and, and it was a fun project, and yeah, so.
1: Well, I can never pick one of anything, so I love the yarn that you chose for that winding trail baby sweater. Mm. It was like a gorgeous teal color, and I made mm-hmm. note of it, and I want to make a sweater out of that yarn. It's so beautiful. I also feel like you need major shout-out for the Sock Madness effort. Oh yeah, that was fun too. And like you were a finalist, right? I mean, you made it like yeah. semi-finalist. team made, finalist. Like hello, playoffs. You made it so far. I did better than the Giants. That's right. <laughs> we're not um, bitter
0: or anything now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Go socks. Yeah, now we switch, we, we all here yeah. switch our allegiance to the West Coast, or the East Coast yeah. Boston Red Sox. But I totally am smitten with the Rick Rack sweater, which is not its real name, but that's <laughs> what I wrote down, rickrack sweater. That is what it is called. <laughs> Shall be known. Forevermore. Yep. How um. many miles of yarn did you use this year? Did you calculate <sighs> that?
0: I didn't calculate. I could look up how much I have used in 2021 so far. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we can. We'll save that for our, our year end.
0: Yeah, that's what I was. I was going to wait for that. That math is a little bit easier. Yeah, my favorite of the podcast art photos was the jellyfish. Really, from April seventh. Yeah, <laughs> I think I really like the ones with the dark background. It just makes it pop, and they were just so like wavy and beautiful and transparent. And I mean, it was honestly. I was. I was going through. I was like, oh, that's my favorite. No, that one is. No, that one is. No. It, Oh,
1: dear. So. ah, oh, thank you. I,
0: you. I mean, I almost had to go with the bear because he was so cute. From the bear? La- from last
1: time. Uh, the bear that we that you used for a logo oh, and for and there was something. that one too, yeah. That wasn't a podcast cover, but I really liked how that bear came out. I, I liked it a little better matter. than the one. What did we do? The snail? This. Sna- what was the, what oh, the snail? Oh, the snail is for right now, right? Yes, for right now. Yeah. I really love the artichoke plate that uh, I did. Oh, yeah, like, that was good one last winter, maybe. And I also painted a Nutella jar that reminds me I need to give to one of my kids. I have way less paintings this year than I have in years past. I'm at about a 100 from this point last year, which should be more like triple that almost. But it was a hard year, so it's okay. And I think... My calendar from last year was super sa- was my most satisfying overall on the easel project. I picked your calendar as well for my favorite of your projects, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was I mean, it's kind of the biggest completed thing that I did in the past year. So yeah. makes sense. plus it was awesome. Thank you. so
0: so for food, I mean beans this is my year of beans. Also, (laughs) the things that caught my eyes, like I was going back through, tofu croutons. Oh, yeah. Getting, you know, a way to get tofu crispy and delicious without trying to cook it in a frying pan, which never seems to work very well. So cooking it in the oven is amazing. Very excited by that revelation. Yeah. And the seasonal palaus from East. Um, And then actually, in a little sneak peek, there's kind of a seasonal pharaoh i think in weekday vegetarian so i just love that idea of having a base recipe and changing it up with which I, whatever is seasonal and and delicious so i really like that and then snacking cakes that book by yossi arafi which is <laughs> i've made so many so many cakes from that and they've all been just delicious so that is my good stuff my cooking yeah
1: 100 cookies.
0: I was going to say, the, the, Snack and Cakes is my 100 cookies. Yeah.
1: My, I, have a I cook- do love the cookies. I too. have a cookie household. Yeah. And honestly, I think because the kids wrestling coach was like deeply invested in the cookie tasting thing, too. And it sort of, you know, it was a like a quarantine bonding thing that none of us needed, but everyone loved. That cookbook has gotten tremendous mileage at our house. And so has Simply Julia, Oh, good. That green pasta. L- yep. Lubov's pasta, mm-hmm. I think it's called. And then the, um, the pita pocket with the ground lamb and turkey mm-hmm. on the inside with the dipping sauce. And there's another one in there that I use all the time. Um, oh, the, the chicken thighs with the pinto beans. Mm-hmm. We, we really liked that cookbook. And that was the, when I was asking the, the family the other night, basically anything in a pita pocket, the, <laughs> is a winner they like to you know pick it up and and it's filling and yeah so I don't know I I feel like I have cooked every day for the past year and I'm so ready for a break from the kitchen I don't know if when that will ever happen yep. ever but I'm glad that we've had some really good cookbook yeah. inspiration
0: yeah so for reading I have read 177 books I did that math was a little bit easier to yeah to figure out but yeah which is bonkers completely bonkers. I felt like we need to give a special shout out to Inspector Gamache and Louise Penny. And Louise Penny and Hillary Rodden Clinton coming out with a book, so you'll be hearing about that at some point, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yep. But I think it was hard to pick. I had quite a few five-star books, and then I had a lot of four stars that I was looking at going, why isn't this a five-star? But I think I'm going with The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue as my favorite. Really? My favorite. Yeah, I mean, I'm I loved it. I thought it was different. It was a great story. I mean, it's got all the history. She was such a compelling character.
1: Yeah. I don't know how you can possibly narrow down 177 <laughs> books. I mean, I could pick out a ton more. A lot of them are
0: series. Yeah. You know, so it's... That's That true. is like a standalone, <clears throat> amazing kind of book.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so hard to choose. But I, I would
0: have... recommend to... Almost everybody.
1: Okay, I have seven. <laughs> I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to narrow it down on the fly. Okay, and then put them in the show notes, like my top seven. Sure. So that'll maybe make people go look at the show notes. I have read 103 books in nice. the past year, which is that's a ton. Is still a monster amount. Yeah. So I feel pretty good about that because I think. In the past years, I've been at like 50 or 60, so pat on back. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to winnow this down to three. Ask Again, Yes by Mary Beth Keene.
0: You can just read them all.
1: Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. Oh my gosh. Just read them all. Okay, This is Happiness by Niall Williams. Please, people, read that one. It's so good. Snow Falling on Cedars, which was one that I had missed and f- felt so good to revisit. That's David Gutterson. Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, oh, which was so one. funny. That's the
0: Exploding Children.
1: Hamnet mm. by Maggie O'Farrell. And then I challenge everybody to read Middlemarch. <laughs> Those are all great books. I couldn't narrow it down. That's I was fun. like, nope. Yep. Scratch it. yeah. <laughs> It was so good. Great year. It
0: was. There were so many good books. There's so many coming out.
1: Too many books. Keep them coming, mm. authors. We That's love true. this. Yep. We love this so yep. much. So
0: many good books. All right. Well, here's the three years.
1: We're on to our fourth. And, and, and going strong. Yeah.
0: All right. And so until next time when we will have our weekday vegetarian review, make sure to do
1: something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at
0: craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney S F. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat
1: at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.